Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the Director of Community Life. And we just want you to know that we are really glad that you're sharing this time with us this morning. As we begin our gatherings, we'd like to share a call to worship just to focus our time together of what we're doing here. And with the time of year that it is, I have brought a Thanksgiving address. This is actually the Hawadnasani Thanksgiving address, um, and it's been inspired by um, Karen Kearney and uh, Janine Shenandoah. So this is a call and a response as we're walking into this time of Thanksgiving this week. Uh, the Hwadnasani address really focuses on the natural world. So as we give thanks this week, I hope we include not only our friends and family, but also what has been given to us by Creator. Please stand and uh, share the response. I will read the first line, and then the community will follow with the second line. To the earth, mother of all, greetings and thanks. To all the waters, waterfalls, rain, rivers, and oceans, greetings and thanks. To all the fish life, greetings and thanks. To the grains and greens, beans and berries, greetings To medicine herbs of the world and their keepers, greetings and thanks. To all animals and their teachings, greetings and thanks. To the trees for shelter, shade, fruit and beauty, greetings and thanks. To all birds, large and small, joyful, greetings and thanks. To the four directions, the four winds, thank you for purifying the air we breathe and giving us strength. Greetings and thanks. To the thunderers, our grandfathers in the sky, we hear your voices. Greetings and thanks. And now to the sun for light of a new day and all the fires of life. To our oldest grandmother, the moon, leader of women all over the world, greetings and thanks. And the stars for their mystery, beauty, and guidance, greetings and thanks. To our teachers from all times, reminding us how to live in harmony, greetings and thanks. And for all the gifts of creation, for the love around us, greetings and thanks. And for that which is forgotten, we remember, we end our words. Now our minds are one. Come and worship. Alrighty.
if you can make your way back from whence you've come. Uh, all right, friends. It's a beautiful morning. It's cold out there, but it's warm in here. Sun shining. Man, this is my favorite time of day in here. There's also sunset when the sun sets through that window. It's beautiful. Um, I'm Micah, in case we haven't met um, again. want to let you know about a couple of things uh, before we jump into the teaching this morning. The first of which is, if you're new, we're really glad that you're with us. If you could let us know that you were here, that would be great. There are some cards in the seat pockets or the pews in front of you. You can click online. Uh, there's also a place for you to fill that out there. You can let us know that you were with us. Uh, somebody from our team will reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice. We'll get to know each other a little bit. Also, if you have tithes or offerings, there's multiple ways you can give to the church. I think the, uh, on the screen there. But uh, if you have tithes or offerings you've brought or cards that you've filled out, there are black boxes at each of the exits. You can drop them there. We are appreciative of those things. Um, if you are a subscriber to the Awaken Weekly, you should have gotten our Advent offerings email that went out last week. So all the things we're doing during Advent, just a highlight of a couple of them. I mentioned them last week. Next week, hard to believe, next week is the Advent kickoff. Swedish meatballs, mashed potatoes, lingonberry sauce, mash, uh, gravy. We're going to light the Christmas tree, assuming I can get the thing to work. Um, that thing's gigantic, and it weighs a million pounds. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to make it that heavy, but it still blew over, actually, last year. We had it set up outside, blew the thing right over, but we got a new base for it this year. New base. We built that baby. It's not going anywhere. So we'll do that. That's next week, uh, 4 p.m., starting at 4. We got Advent meals happening. If you like to cook meals for um, Heather Crawford, heads up that, and those go out to folks in the church as they need them. Um, Inda Young is a ministry, or not a ministry, an organization that we partner with. Uh, they are doing a collection during the holidays for needs that they have. So all that's in the Awaken Weekly. And then last but not least, um, Tides of Winter will be back, friends. Tides of Winter will be back. Yes, our, our good friends. Uh, if you have not heard them, they are just fantastic. Working on a new EP, so they got some new music to play, which is super exciting. Um, that's December the 17th, Saturday night, $10 per ticket. I made this, uh, this, this is a guarantee. You can write this down. If you can find a better musical experience for $10, I will give you your money back. Okay? Like, um, that's, a, that's real, and you can talk to Jenna to get that um, refunded, okay? <clears throat> no, they're really great. Ben actually uh, started the church with me, first worship pastor we ever had, so they'll be back December 17th. Um, we'll be in John 5, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, that's where we're going today. A couple of things as we start. We are finishing a series called The Echoes of Eden. This is the last week before Advent begins, and Echoes of Eden is, a, is an exploration of this idea in Scripture of Eden. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 and 2 with a garden in a place called Eden. Eden means delight in Hebrew. And this garden is an idea. It's a reality. Jesus talks about it later in the Bible. He calls it the kingdom of God. It's where the hopes and dreams of God for creation happen, where they're, they're available. They're, they're on retainer. They're always ready for you, lawyer. Uh, and, and so uh, Eden as an idea, and then there's a river that flows from Eden. And uh, in Genesis 1, if you remember, the waters are chaotic. They're, they're, um, 
they're, they're dark and sort of places, uh, a place of death. And then the spirit hovers over the water, and that water changes, and it becomes the mayim, this thing, this substance that God uses to create and sustain and sort of gather all life around. And out of this river, out of this garden flows a river, and that river flows to the ends of the earth, to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And so the biblical writers, they often will tap into that story. They will echo back to Eden by use of rivers and wells and springs in their letters or their prophets or prophecies or their psalms. And they'll talk about those things. And so we've talked about Ezekiel 47, the river from the mountain flowing to the Dead Sea. Last week we talked about Isaac and Ishmael. Um, and, and Isaac coming from this well where his stepmother, I guess you could call her, meets the living God. And so today we find a spring in John chapter 5. Um, John's gospel, before we read it, just so you have a heads up, <clears throat> probably the most thematic, the most nuanced, the most um, sophisticated of the four gospels. I like Mark and Luke because I love a good story. John is brilliant. John taps into all kinds of things that have been tapping, happening in Scripture. His beginning echoes Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through him. That's Genesis 1. John's a really, really great writer. Um, he uses light and dark. He uses water as uh, like motifs and themes throughout it. And the first half of John's Gospel is seven miracles, or what he calls signs. And they build in emphasis to the point of which at the seventh sign, the seventh miracle, is the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Almost as if he's, he's setting you up for what's about to happen. And then Jesus turns towards Jerusalem in John chapter 12, and, and then the story of the crucifixion you know, plays itself out. Um, and in each one of these, John is making a claim. He's making a claim about Jesus and who he is, that he's the Messiah of Israel. He's the, the Lord of creation uh, he's the son of God. And uh, in doing so, he's asking the reader a question, right? What do you think about this? Um, Jesus, throughout John's gospel, challenges a number of different uh, institutions, people. He challenges the Pharisees. He challenges the temple. He challenges the, the norms between who's in and who's out, the Samaritan woman in John 4. He challenges the, like, the highest and holiest days of Israel, Sabbath and Passover, and a feast called Tabernacles. And there's a pattern, right? Jesus performs a miracle. And then the people misunderstand or, or question why he's doing what he's doing or what he's doing. And then the reader is left to decide. What do you say? And ultimately, these signs, these miracles, serve John's ultimate goal, which we see in John chapter 20. All the way at the end, we read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, the ones I have written, are written that you may believe in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what John's up to. So, little background. We're about to read John 5. Before I invite Joy to do that, I just want to let you know, this is a passage that has to do with healing. The healing of, in this case, a paralyzed man. And I know that that can be a tender topic for some, especially if you have suffered at all uh, in life. And maybe you've prayed for healing, and maybe that healing hasn't come. Or maybe someone else suffered, and you prayed for their healing, and it did come or it didn't come. It's very complicated. Uh, and sometimes these, these texts land in places where we didn't see them coming. So I just want to give you a fair warning. All right? So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand 
John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up it, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Pray with me if you would. <clears throat> God, as we gather this morning, <clears throat> it's my hope and prayer that um, all the things that are present here this morning, belief and unbelief, faith and doubt, certainty and questions, that they would all somehow belong <clears throat> and that you would meet us in the midst of it. Um, show us who you are, I pray, in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. The church said together, amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. Uh, so if I were you, and you were me, and, I, and you, <laughs> you were preaching this sermon, and you didn't talk about what I'm just going like, to give a little tiny little bit about as, before we begin, I would say, how can you preach that passage and not talk about that? So I want to just like, start there as a little caveat, because I'm really not going to address this. And I think it's, again, if, if you were me and I were you, I would say, how, come on. Um, so in verse 14, Jesus says to the guy, see, you are well. Um, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Did anyone else think like that seems like a very mean thing to say to a person? Yeah, okay. 
That's troubling. Um, and the inference is, like, it doesn't have to mean that this guy's ailment is because of his sin. It doesn't have to mean that. It could mean something else. However, a plain reading of the text, you would think that that's what Jesus means. That's troubling. Um, especially in light of the fact in John 9, he says the exact opposite. Right? He says to a guy in John chapter 9, the, the disciples ask him, um, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God may be revealed in him. So in John 9, the man's condition is not the result of his sin. It just is. And Jesus' response is effectively, but like watch what's about to happen. Some translations give it like a so that. And actually, it's super technical, but that's not, that's not really there. It's like, but watch what's about to happen. Okay? So when we, when we think of passages like this or real situations in life like this where someone suffers... Um, I think we, we, we often want to know, like, why? 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 Any little kids in the room? <laughs> favorite question? Favorite words? Why? Why? We want to know why. And it seems that there are, like, three options here, right? Um, either, on the one hand, this person has done something, made a choice, and the, and the result of their choice is the reality of their life, okay? Which, sometimes that happens, Right? Proverbs says we reap what we sow, and I think we all know that that's kind of true, right? Um, then there's also um, God has done this to them so that glory could be you know, shown, so that God's glory could be shown, or so that that person could learn something or whatnot. God has brought it upon them so that. And then there's a third option of like, it's a crazy world, <laughs> and there's a lot of things that you, we do not understand or have the answers to. And, um, but watch what God can do, even in the midst of that, right? I want to just say, of those three options, I categorically reject option two. That God does this or brings this about upon people so that God might be glorified. It's a sermon for another day, because uh, <laughs> there's a lot there. But based on what I know of God, what, I, what, I, what has been revealed to us about God in Jesus and a whole bunch of other ideas which are both philosophical and theological, I just don't think that's what God is like. So you have option one and option three, in my opinion, where sometimes like, we make choices and then we have to live in the midst of those choices. And then also we live in a world that's crazy and sometimes things that happen are just... They're, they just happen. There's not a reason for them. And watch what God can do and often does do in the midst of them. As people who live in a real world, not some make-believe fairyland, um, I want to just offer a little bit of wisdom, uh, what I think is wisdom. In, I, I think so, we, we oftentimes spend lots of time spinning our wheels trying to figure out which, of, which is this or why, why, why. And that may not always be the best question. Sometimes it, uh, we got to go down the road and we got we to gotta wrestle it down. And sometimes we just spin our wheels in that endeavor. Also, people in this position, representing this institution, have often been unkind and uncompassionate to folks who have suffered. And um, I don't know that any of us should speak with a terrible amount of certainty as to why something happened to somebody or didn't. 
right? Tread lightly there. As, as people, but certainly as, as pastors and faith leaders. Again, a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, and I'm not really going to talk about that much more. But if I were you and you were me, I would say, Mike, you got to at least address that, bro. Come on. So that's me addressing that, okay? I want to ask a question. I want to make an observation. And then I want to ask, I want to ask you to make a decision today. So the first question. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Here's a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's lying next to what's commonly known as the healing pool of Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda means the house of grace or the house of mercy. Beth, Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. Uh, Bethesda, Chesed, means like grace or mercy. The house of grace or mercy. God's loving kindness. Um, And the legend is that when there are two pools at Bethesda, Uh, There's a spring, we know now, and when the water bubbles, uh, the legend was that a divine being is stirring the water, and whoever gets to the water first gets the prize. It's kind of like, you know, when you were a little kid, and if there was just one bowl of cereal left, you got to move, you got to take action. When the water's stirred, when the milk gets taken out, you got to move, right? So when the water's stirred, you got to get there, and whoever gets there gets healed. That's That's the theory. Uh, here's a picture, an ancient, um, an ancient picture of Israel, just so you have a sense of like the Temple Mount over on the right. This is the Kidron Valley over on the left. This is the Valley of Gehenna, also known as hell. Just another sermon for another day. Uh, uh, the, 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 the Mount of Olives is up here. The Garden of Gethsemane is down in the valley and then up to the Temple Mount. Up to the right, Antonio Fortress. And then that little box up there, that's the Pool of Bethesda. There's another pool called Siloam, which is down here at the bottom. We'll come back to that. But that's, if you like maps, now you know where we are, okay? Um, the, uh, again, with this ancient pool, there were, uh, there was, it would spring up, it would fill up, and then these priests would come and kind of open the gates, and the water would flow into the, the, the lower pool, and people would bathe there and, and whatnot. And so, you have a sense that when the bubbles would come, got to get in the pool, here we go. Jesus asked the guy a question. Do you want to get well? I think this is a really interesting question. On the surface, I'm like, what kind of a question is that? The guy's been there for 38 years. Why else would he be there? Like, what a dumb question, right? The eight in me rises up, and I'm like, have a little compassion, will you? Of course he wants to get well. Jesus throughout his ministry and God throughout the Bible asks a lot of questions, really important ones. Where are you to Adam and Eve? Where is your brother to Cain? Jesus asks the the blind guy, what do you want? Jesus asks God, why have you forsaken me? So questions seem to be important. And I want to suggest that this question is no less important. Do you want to be well? Sometimes the Bible feels like it's 2,000 years away. I don't know how many people have lined, lain, lied, uh, laid next to a pool for 38 years hoping to be healed. I'm guessing nobody. That's a guess. I'll leave room for possibility. And so it's possible we could read this story and be kind of like, well, so I want to reframe the question. Do you want to change? 
do you want to be healed? Maybe, maybe you haven't suffered. Maybe, maybe your body works fine for the most part. Maybe you have. But for many of us, it's easy to, to sidestep this story because it doesn't apply. Well, I, I, don't, I don't really need to be healed necessarily. But there is some gold here. Do you want to change? Do you want to be well? I'd love for you to close your eyes for a moment. Just try to enter this story, right? Close your eyes and imagine, like, you're there. You got the two pools. You are unable to move, have been unable to move. You've got your mat. You've been there for 38 years. Trying to get to the water when it's stirred. And inevitably, somebody gets there first. Frustratingly. And some guy wanders up on a Tuesday. Actually, it's Saturday. And says to you, do you want to be well? It's an all-play question. I'd actually love to know what you would say. How, like, what do you re- how do you respond? What are you feeling in that moment? If you would, entertain my question. Anger. What else? Duh. <laughs> I know you're Jesus and all, but... Do you... How? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. Why me? Say it again. Afraid. Yeah. What do I have to let go of? Do you want to be well? Seems like a pretty obvious question. But if I know anything about people, and... I don't know everything, but I have been doing this 25 years, and I do know myself. I know that change, even the change of being healed, involves losing something, and loss always requires grief. In a book called Leadership on the Line, um, these two authors are talking about an organization or a culture, and um, they say that people don't resist change They resist loss. So when somebody comes and presents some change in your organization, they're arguing that oftentimes what the resistance is not to the change in and of itself, but the the loss that is right below the surface of the change. Because change is always, in some level, loss. Now, some people experience all change as loss. doesn't matter how good the change is. It's, It's experienced as loss. I, on the other hand, am not that person. I love change. When I was in college, I used to rearrange my bedroom, my dorm room, like every month because I loved coming home to a new room. I'm not normal. Amen? But change, on some level, fundamentally, always requires the loss of something else. Do you want to change? Do you want to be well? I have a sneaky suspicion that many of us fear change, even if it's good, even if it means I'm getting well. 
Sometimes it's the loss of a routine or comfort or familiarity. Like, it's, it's not what I desire. It's not the best case, but I'm used to it. So, do you want to be well is a little more complicated. Sometimes it's, it's the loss of or the change of a relationship. And I don't know if I have what it takes to, to go to the next level. This, I've figured out how to navigate. And it may not be the most fruitful thing. It may not be what I dreamt of. It may not be what I hoped for. But, like, I'm kind of used to it now. So do you want to change? Do you want to be well? It's a little more complicated than that. Sometimes it's the loss of a reputation. I'm pretty funny, and I can crack a joke. And instead of tapping into or being honest with my emotions, I'll actually just divert the attention somewhere else, and everybody laughs, and they love that about me. And so if I get healed and I get well, people may not think I'm as funny as I used to be. Do you want to be well? Do you want to change? It is not a simple question. There are some, I want to be clear, for whom suffering has been long. And they have asked and wished to be well, and that has not happened. And there is a way in which we are often afraid of change and being well, becoming well, because it, requ it requires us to actually live our lives. To learn a new skill, meet new people, become a new kind of person, create new routines or rhythms, and whatever excuse we had for not doing those things would be gone. I'm not saying anyone in this room is doing this. I just know myself. <laughs> so as your local neighborhood pastor, I just want to remind you and maybe offer the space for you to be honest about the question, do you want to be well? And whatever, whatever you might need to work that out, I hope that Awaken is the kind of community that would say, like, yeah, that's, we're in that with you. Even if it's just to bear witness, right, which is what the community often does. To just bear witness to your journey, which is powerful. Which says that you're not alone. Good news. So a simple question, Jesus. Do you want to be well? Uh, an observation an, an, an adventure in missing the point. Uh, there, there's an old, two old guys named Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren. Maybe some of you have heard of them. They once wrote a book called Adventures in Missing the Point. It's called The, uh, the, what, the Culture. The tagline is uh, The Culture Controlled Church of Jesus and How It's Neutered the Gospel. <laughs> Man, coming in hot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I've met a group of people who can more extravagantly miss the point than religious people. You know what I'm saying? Where you're just like, it seems really obvious, and they're like, no way, man, it's that way. It is over here all the time, double down on it. And Christians, you know, I let, I, I'm, in, I'm in the camp, so let's, let's be critical of our own people. That's one of the reasons I love the Bible. It's one of the only sacred te 
text that critiques itself and the, the, the heroes of the story. But Christians uh, we, we, and religious people have this knack for missing the point. Um, I mean, think about this, right? 38 years. 38 years. Your friend Ted, you've seen him. Like, you go to get coffee at the local cafe in your baklava every morning, and Ted is there. You have seen him on his mat, like, scrambling to get to the water, un, 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 unable, frustratingly. I love that word. He can't get to the water. And then one day, you go down to the cafe, and you're like, holy cats, Ted, what are you doing here? And somebody's bought him a cup of co coffee because he's celebrating. He got healed. But on the wrong day. <laughs> like, what? I mean, if I weren't a pastor, there are some things I would be saying like, right now. And the kids are in the room. Are you kidding me right now? If you have a heart in your body and, a hum and you're human, you have to say, can't we just like bend the rule a little bit for Ted on this one? <laughs> 38 years! And the religious leaders march down the street and they say, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Because that is not cool. That's the wrong day. He clearly did not get the memo in Torah school on that one. Warning, Christians, people of faith. If you don't consider yourself a people, person of faith, then you're off the hook for just a second. But to the rest of you, we have a unique ability to completely miss the point. And Jesus continually has some pretty sharp and pointed words to us. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, he says to the Pharisees. You give a tithe of your mint and your cumin, your dill, all the best of your things, and you forget mercy and justice. Do you not know that I do not require mercy? I, requ or I don't require sacrifice. I require mercy. I want mercy. The, the prophet comes to the people of God and says, listen, what God has to say to you is all your sacrifices, all your smoke screens and your chanting and your singing, stop. It's a, I don't need it. Do you think I need the blood, the blood of bulls and goats? Do you think, like, I want that? God says, no, I don't. What I want is your heart. And somehow, we just, like, build these programs around the rules and obeying the rules. Why? I don't, I don't know. Why do you think we like rules so much? This is an all-play question. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why do you think we, especially religious people, just love rules and obeying the rules? So much. Security. Security. Control. Say it again. Don't have to change. It's simple. Predictable. Structure. In and out. It's real clear. At least according to the rules. Who's in and who's out. Where I stand. It's not ambiguous. It's hard to live in ambiguity. We love this stuff. And we build these structures, these, and, and, and we worship them. And we think that's what God wants. No, there's wisdom in how to live a life as a human, right? We, and, and, and then Jesus, like, over and over comes and just, like, he just wreaks havoc on our structures. And he just, like, pull, if you want to destroy this sweater, pull the thread and walk away. 
just did that. A reminder, church folk, we have a unique ability to miss the point. And we've done it often. There's a good chance we might do it again. So just be, be warned. Jesus asks a pretty simple question that's not very simple. We see these religious folks missing the point. And last but not least, I'll say it this way. Almost, but not quite. When I was a kid, <laughs> my brothers and I, there were, five, there were five of us boys, and we, we did all kinds of crazy things. But one day, we were like, bored, which is a bad, bad thing. <laughs> and we saw that there's a perfect baseball diamond with the sewer cap in the middle of the street, Andy's house in the walkway, a two-by-four that we put on the other end of the street, and the Ryder's sisters, an old couple that lived over here. We didn't say very nice things about them. God forgive us. So there was a perfect baseball diamond, but we're like, baseballs, hard, they break things, cars, windows, kids' teeth, any number of things, but we're like tennis balls. And we didn't have a bat, but we sure did have a racket, so we called it tennis baseball. So we literally would just play hours and hours and hours, and there were two fences right at about the home run mark. It was perfect, and we would play tennis baseball. We had a pitcher and an outfielder, and then everybody else was runners and batters, it, was like, it wasn't baseball, and it wasn't tennis, but it was like a shadow of each of those things, right? Tons of fun. We actually, we, we did like home video of tennis baseball, and uh, I don't know if it's on tape or not, but there is one day when I was fielding a fly ball, you know, I'm running, running, running. We're on this, this is a street where people live. I'm running, going for a ball, and, I'm, and then imagine like Micah, and there's a parked car right here, just, just like, Ugh. Like, feet off the ground, hands on top, just whammo. So that was tennis baseball. Uh, play at your own risk. Why are you telling us this story, Micah? I'll tell you why. We begin John's gospel, and he, he structures this testimony about Jesus. He says, Jesus performs these signs, people misunderstand him, and you, the reader, are left to decide, is this true or not? Is he who he says he is or not? The healing at the pool of Bethesda, at least for John, is an emphatic yes Jesus is exactly who he said he is, and the pool that this man laid down around for 38 years is a shadow. A lot of people would say this is like, uh, um, you know, a Jewish mikvah, where they would ceremonially cleanse themselves before they went to the temple. It's right near the temple. But notice what Jesus does not tell the man to do after he heals him. He never tells him, go wash in the pool. He does to the blind guy in John 9 at the pool of Siloam, which is a Jewish mikvah. But in John 5, he doesn't say, go wash yourself. Why? I would argue because this is not a Jewish pool to Yahweh. This is not a part of the, the temple. But this is actually a shadow. This is a pagan temple that is attempting to, that's claiming to be connected to the God of creation, the source of all life that can heal the chaotic waters that we find ourselves in. In John, in John 5, tells of Jesus who walks up to this pool and who with a word speaks a, a healing word over the chaos of this man's life. Why? Because he is the real deal. He is the living water. Remember where the story starts. John, uh, Genesis chapter 1. Yahweh, the creator, the, 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 the giver of all life, speaks a word over the chaos and life comes forth. 
And what John is doing brilliantly is saying that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord over all of creation. And this man, who's lying next to a shadow of the real thing, hoping that it would heal, Jesus comes and notice he, he doesn't even have to say anything. He doesn't even respond. There's not even faith required. He just heals him. And he gets up and he walks. There's a guy named Justin Martyr, who I don't know if Martyr is his last name or what happened to him. He was a second century Christian. But he wrote this about this, this temple, which is, I would argue, a temple to the god Asclepius, which is a Roman god of medicine and healing, whose daughters were Panacea and Hygieia. You can hear it, right? Hygiene, Panacea. He writes this. He says, When the devil brings forward Asclepius as the raiser of the dead and the healer of all diseases, may I not say that in this matter, likewise, he has imitated the prophecies about Christ. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says, The place, Asclepius, spoke of the possibility of miraculous healing, of the remote chance of divine healing, but it was at best spasmodic and at worst an idle dream. So you are left, we are left as the readers to make a choice, a decision. Is this man who John claims to be, is, is Jesus who he says, John, is Jesus who John says he is? Like what kind of world do we live in? What do we do with the chaotic waters of destruction all around in our lives? How do we respond to them? Do we trust the God who tamed the waters at the, all the way back at the beginning? Paul says, in him I live and move and have my being. Is that true? And here's one more story of water, a spring, where we find Jesus. And I would leave you with this question, which Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? I think it's the only question that matters. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning, uh, we come to this place and we've read this story. Maybe we've heard it before. We, maybe we grew up in the church. Maybe we didn't. But here's a guy who's claiming to be connected to the source of all things. Who's claiming to be God, the divine, made known to us in a human. And we're left with this question of do we believe that's true or not? And so in this moment of silence, I pray that your spirit would find us and speak to us and tell us what's true. Move us towards what's true. Impress on our mind and heart what is true. As we close this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, it's a choice. It's an opportunity. Mel's going to lead us in song. Uh, and there is also communion available on my right and on my left. Um, there's bread and there's red wine and white grape juice. We invite you if, you, if you want, to come to this table and receive what is being offered to you, which is good news, the good gift of Jesus. Um, so we invite you to take the bread and dip it in the cup know as you do the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Just make your way down the side aisles there. There's some sanitizer on the way. Um, 
And let's respond to what the Spirit may be saying today. To my friends gathered in St. Paul, to the Church of Jesus, my hope and prayer is that you leave today knowing uh, the words I'm about to say, which I say nearly every week. May they not become old or routine or mundane or ordinary to you. These are the words of God for the people of God. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.